0: i'm robbie mcdonald
1: and i'm jordan lane
0: we're two writers who've been friends for 15 years recently we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have adhd in midlife
1: holy shit i have adhd is a platform for adults discovering their neurodivergence as well as a way to spread awareness of adhd
0: this is a podcast about adhd hosted by two people with adhd
1: while each episode has a general theme our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process
0: we are not experts, We two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife.
1: If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. Welcome to Holy Shit, I Have HD. Yeah, let me try this again. <laughs> Welcome to Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, a podcast about discovering you have ADHD in adulthood. Uh, My name is Jordan Lane. It is just boys night this week. Uh, Robbie is unfortunately unable to join us, Um, but joining me tonight is a guest, uh, Mr. Daniel Perron. Uh, Am I saying that right? Did I fuck it up again already? (laughs) No, you did fine. Okay, great. Um, He is a DevOps engineer from here in Calgary, Alberta, and someone who I met through my friend Diane. Um, And yeah, uh, someone that, like me, like Robbie, like most of you listening to the show, kind of um, figured out in in adulthood that he does, in fact, have ADHD. So um, I don't know, maybe that's a good as place as any to start uh, if you kind of want to tell your story about maybe growing up not knowing and then eventually how you sort of put those pieces together.
2: Well, I, I think the term for what I was diagnosed with is twice exceptional at the time, um, which is, I mean, it's twice something, certain, certainly, but exceptional is not how I describe it. <laughs> um, yeah, so ADHD in the gifted stream, I think we've we've shared a little bit um, privately, or well, mm-hmm. in our first conversation that you had a similar experience. Um so, yeah, like, you know, being expected to be the smart one to come up with novel and interesting and immediate solutions to problems to handle well, can like, handle themselves well under pressure is, is kind of a, an expectation of a bunch of labels that I got attached to. Mm-hmm. Um, not knowing what it was or why and being told that anybody that needed meds to regulate themselves had something wrong with them instead of, you know, so that, that kind of mentality towards even pursuing mental health as a kid was really, really damaging. Um but, you know, as I got older, I started kind of examining these things going, oh, like these things do affect people. Like this, this does change my day to day. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Um, I did that typical, the typical gifted child burnout thing, but also the typical ADHD away from the nest burnout thing at the same time and flopped really, really hard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I graduated with honors throughout high school, like my grades started uh, slipping. In, uh, in grade 12, I think between grade 11 and grade 12, I had like a 20% gap in my grades. Wow. But I was still the top male student graduating. Oh, wow. So like I went from like 99% to 89% or like, yeah, I think it was maybe, a, yeah, 99% to 89. So 10% gap or 15% gap in my grades, but I was still close enough to the top. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a huge fall from grace, quote unquote. And then <laughs> university was also that way where I just couldn't stay in anything. I kept dropping out of things. I couldn't stay motivated. It was really rough. And not knowing what it was was very hard. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely part of the experience. Well, I relate to
1: a lot of that. Um, you know, high school uh, was where things started to get tough. And that was partly of my own doing. Um, I went to uh, Bishop Carroll. Uh, for those who don't know in Calgary, it's a, it's a high school where um, at least until I think actually the year after I graduated was when they started to kind of lock things down a little bit more. But it was, um, a famously kind of lax school in terms of actually making sure people were at school and doing the work. Um, so I largely kind of didn't do a whole lot for grades 10 and 11. And, you know, like, um, again, I understand so much more now, uh, uh, knowing that I have ADHD about why that particular, uh, self-guided learning program didn't work for me, but also that it gave me the flexibility where, you know, if I needed to, like at the end of, end of, uh, whatever the second half of grade 12, when I started to panic, you know, I did like three religion courses in like, I don't know, two days or something like that, like 10, 10, 20, 30. Um, just, just cause it was able to just kind of plow through, but yeah, I just like, I also ended up, uh, needing to take summer school. Um, cause I just, things really kind of Uh, uh, I started to really have trouble in grade 12, um, you know, with science and math and things that I didn't have the natural kind of aptitude for. So yeah, Mm. dropped out of college the first time or university, excuse me, the same as you. Um, yeah, I definitely feel that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've been to more than one place. So like it's when I say I've dropped out of college and university, I mean it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I dropped out of state. I dropped out of (laughs) university of Calgary, I dropped out of Alaska, um, you know, trying all these different courses I mean, I'm glad I tried all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it struck me, though, especially at SAIT, just how much, like, high school it felt in terms of, like, the bullying and, and you know, like, people treating each other in, in the way that they ended up doing at, at SAIT. And I started to realize that it was my getting affected by it that was feeding it, right? Um, but that that had to come quite a bit later, you know, after reflecting on it later. Mm-hmm. Not in the moment because you're just too stressed out about it. Um but yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think the moment that I found out that I had ADHD, like I, I distinctly remember my friend who uh, happened to work uh, at Distress Center Calgary at the time and who currently works at the University of Calgary, uh, is a quite accomplished counselor and a very dear friend. Um, and he sat me down. We were having lunch because I was working downtown. He was working downtown and we were working two separate places and I hadn't seen him in a while. And we sat down and I joined him for lunch. He said, hey, my friend. I think uh I think you have ADHD. And I remember <laughs> and I remember just being so against the idea, like, no, how dare you? And then I was like, wait a minute, what am I saying? And I stopped. And and I said, Don't you have ADHD? And he said yes, and I'm like, then I shouldn't be saying that bad things about it. <laughs> right? Like I just clicked, like good people I know. Like, you know, and so um and so then I started doing some research and uh he suggested that this channel called How to ADHD um it's a youtube channel um is that jessica mccabe yes that's right um you know he suggested that and and you know i connected a bunch to that uh, to to those videos and and i felt a little bit of a sense of community in there and i'm like oh okay like you know these are normal things to go through these are normal challenges to have if your, your brain is structured in this way and like i'm actually quite you know lucky in the sense that my my symptoms do not manifest in a lot of those ways that, that are described. Like the organizational problems are a thing right now because I am ill and because I have ten different projects that were started before <laughs> I got a job that need to be finished. Um but I have an accounting of them and they're in here. And and I know that's hard, right? Like the calendar of of tasks for for people and like being able to to you know hold on to those things and and commit them to midterm memory is quite hard. Um, And for some reason, my masking and my coping has been good for that and has made that quite easy because, again, my parents were really, really not strict, but um, had high expectations, right? Like, you are smart, so you should be able to figure this out. So I did, which was not always easy. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, And then uh, just most recently, I I think I found out that I had ADHD... Oh, was it it had to have been maybe four years ago now, mm. um so I would have been maybe twenty six maybe twenty seven um when it when it uh became um a you know a thing that I was aware of in myself and uh, and then just recently in the last year or so, like since February of last year i found that's when I found nonviolent communication right um which really really helped for you know handling all these. You know, collating and and organizing and, and giving respect to all of these differences within me, um, and, and all of these similarities. Um, and uh, it was it's really nice to be able to communicate with people in a way that doesn't involve labels or blame or you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just switched my audio device, so.
1: yeah, no worries. Um, so yeah, before we get into the NVC stuff, I wanted to just uh, uh cycle back to a few things that kind of came up as you were talking sure. there. Um, so, so one thing right up top, um, you, you kind of said that you were getting the message that, um, uh, uh, needing to regulate with medication was kind of bad. Was that, Mm -hmm. was that like a societal message or is that something you were
2: getting from family and friends? Oh, my mom was terrified of drugs, terrified Mm. of any kind of drug prescription or otherwise. She hated them. She still does. She has, she actually, she has a phobia of doctors. I can't remember what the name of it is anymore. Um, but yeah, like she, she actually has, um, like her blood pressure will go up when, whenever she walks into a hospital, whether she's just instantaneously. Yeah. Um, and so as soon as that happens, she's, she's immediately defensive. She's not thinking rationally. She's in flight or flight mode the moment she walks into a hospital or a clinic of any kind. And so of course the decisions that get made there are not the same decisions, right? As a kid, you look at your mom and go, oh, well she's making the same rational decisions because she's my mom and I know her to do that. Sure. Not knowing that she's in this state of panic while her son is in all these places, mm-hmm. so there's there's some concern about that, right? About like where where it actually came from. It was just projection about her not being healthy. I'm not sure um, societal pressure, you know, the idea of drugs are bad. MK the <laughs> dare program, <laughs> right? You know, like the fact that it's basically just speed or it's basically just Adderall is basically just you know a, a stimulant medication. Mm-hmm. You know, da 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 da. All of these things that, you know, alcohol is okay, coffee is okay, but this other thing <laughs> isn't. You know, very, very conservative, very, um, I don't know, like, I mean, I grew up in the Northwest Territories, right? So, it's not even that my parents were bad people, like, they're not. They did everything they did out of love, but they, they didn't have the knowledge and information. Like, they didn't have access to doctors that could sit down and say, listen, ma'am, this isn't about drugging your kid. This is about getting him treatment. Like, we want to make sure that he's healthy. Right, like it, that wasn't communicated. It was just, "This will solve the problem. Here's the pill." And of course, that when communicated to somebody who's hysteric is not going to do anything. Yeah. So, you know, the diagnosis got hidden, and I didn't know all these things about myself until I, you know, went back and looked and asked. She's like, "Yeah, yeah, this is what you were diagnosed with." And I'm like, "Well, why didn't you tell me?" She's like, "Well, because I didn't want you to think that you needed drugs." <laughs> like, oh my god. So. Yeah, I still don't have medication. I still haven't tried Mm. medication yet. Um, That is something that just recently I'm kind of like, hmm, you know, like, it doesn't hurt to give it a try and see what happens. I I can journal about it and see how I feel. If I'm not not called to journal while I'm taking the drugs, then (laughs) maybe try different ones, right? Um, And and work with the doctor to work through it. But it's, you know, it's something that... uh, you kind of have to get comfortable with the idea of some of these things you have to like mm-hmm. sit on them and mature on them a little bit and i I wonder if my my having a perspective on what the true problems were or what the truth of my existence was um as late as i have kept has slowed me down, but i don't know i'm i'm pretty I'm pretty content with the human being. <laughs>
1: That's that's an interesting way to think of it. Um, And and yeah, I think that's that's very common with with people that we've talked to. And certainly something that Robbie and I've talked about is, is feeling like, um, you know, well, feeling like a fuck up feeling like, oh, I I should be further along than I am or whatever, blah, blah, blah. When in fact, you know, um, people on the outside, our peers and whatever often think of us as people who really have their shit together. (laughs) You know, so that's, that's, that's a very interesting kind of um you know the, the the call is coming from inside the house sort of thing like so much of this is is as our own hamsters on their own uh negativity wheels
2: <laughs> yeah well yeah automatic negative thoughts are like being awoken to that being a concept a thing that happens you know with people with ADHD because mm-hmm. of well I mean the othering ring and, and the lack of like the, yep. the lack of fitting in when young can really like you know contribute to that and, and kids when, when you're young in your formative years like Kids don't know how to express themselves very well sometimes. This is why, you know, when all these hormones start kicking in for kids as soon as they start going through puberty, they haven't developed the, the, the skills to respond you know, empathetically and and collaboratively to other people, but they're mm-hmm. feeling all these intense emotions. And so they're just blurting them out. And what they see on T V and the information they're be given and you know, like all of the societal pressure is to lash out and is to other people when they don't Fit your needs because that's what they've learned right like good and bad is easy to define and so you know like I, I, I found that i got assigned a lot of like this is bad behavior you're doing it you, mm-hmm. you are this right yeah you know like i got into a lot of fights as a kid i didn't usually start them the only times i ever started them was when somebody spat on a kid who was either in a wheelchair. Or there was a kid that was, had Tourette's that was that was having a really bad episode because he'd been tortured the whole day. Mm, and somebody spat in his face. And I, I, I remember I just exploded. Um You know, like sometimes that happens. And then, of course, I get known. I get written up as. And all the stories go about me being the one to start a big fight in the middle of the yeah. class for no reason. It's like, well, no, you just spat in that guy's face. Well, like there's a the third time today like that's enough
1: that's and that's it's so interesting that you tagged that there is for the third time because i think that there's there's a couple of things that that um are at play there and this is something where you know i i had a, not not a temper but like at times i would have these very kind of uncharacteristic outbursts as a teenager and even in adulthood too And I really kind of didn't, when I didn't understand that I had ADHD, I kind of didn't have, um, have the lens on that, but that's, you know, part of it is, is that, um, sensitivity to injustice because, you know, at least for me, my sense of empathy is very strong. And so I don't, I don't like to see people mistreated. Um, and then the other part of that is kind of like, um, I don't know if it's, if it's not acknowledging emotions as they come up or just kind of that, that maybe impulsivity that comes with it. But something for me is, you know, if, if something, if something is happening to me over and over again, I won't kind of like, slowly get mad in proportion to like, as this input is coming in, it's like, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing. And then I'm at a hundred all of a sudden, because you know, this, this stuff has been, has been filling up, but you know, that, that trigger mechanism isn't activated. So then the responses is often way out of proportion to what the stimulus was, right? And so it's like, oh yeah, Jordan spazzed the fuck out today or whatever. And it's like, well, that's not really fair, but it's also like, yeah, you know- you
2: talking to me like this for six months.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's and it's and it's very uncharacteristic. But yeah, um that's that's definitely something that like um I I can totally relate to. And actually I'm kind of curious there um doubling back to the school thing, you mentioned that um you kind of had a similar experience at college as you did in high school. And I'm curious, did you start uh, college like immediately after high school?
2: I started university. In New York oh, I, university, I, excuse I, me. I did not. No, 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 but they're, they're two different things. Right, yes. I did yes. also do college. <laughs> right. Um, so the university is where I went to first, because I'm smart and gifted and should be able to do these things, <laughs> right? And I burnt right the fuck out. like just, wall, just <laughs> done. Um, but I did do debate. Mm, I did meet mm. a bunch of lovely people. And nice. I did- Meet a lovely girl through it, and I wasn't in the right place, and I had all this CPSD and PTSD and all these other things. Like, you know, I've been, I have been put in the hospital. I have had Molotov cocktails thrown at my house. Oh my god! god I had rocks thrown at my house. Um, I have been run over by snow machines on purpose. I've been thrown <laughs> on stair hall stairwells. Um, like all these things, all these expressions of of you know otherness and and. Um, these communications of not fitting in or not being appreciated from my peers, yeah, Um, you know, definitely contributed to that relationship breaking down. And all that happened at once. Like it got to the point. I remember my mental state was so bad that I had necrosis on my feet. Like I was having like plantar oh warts and stuff. Yeah, and like all of these all of these things were going on in my body. That my body just was not taking care of itself. No matter what I yeah. ate, no matter what I did, I couldn't stand for more than ten minutes. And um, like yeah i i had like i my my i q was half of what it should have been. I was just just a ghost of myself and it was because of all this stress and all of this like internalized self loathing and concern yeah. and anxiety that I had built up from a you know from a school experience like that um and i'm I'm the first to admit that I contributed to it a lot in terms of my outbursts and my being different and weird. Um, and not being as approachable because I'm strange. Well, I had differences. I mean, I was an atheist in a town that had four churches, right? And it had four thousand people. So you do <laughs> Um So you know, it's it was it was there was a lot of things about me that made me different and, and made it hard for people to connect with me during school. And ADHD yeah. was one of the things that you know helped helped spiral that into into negative thoughts and negative mm-hmm. self um, self th- thought and self talk. Um, and then, of course, once you're in that cycle, everything, you, you all the language you use to describe other people is, this, is, is an echo of what you use to describe yourself, right? Mm. So you project onto the world. When somebody, when somebody manipulates you to get something, you can see it as manipulation because you could see yourself employing that strategy when you're really hurt, right? right. So if you're thinking about yourself as, as capable of evil or capable of bad things or as somebody who, you know, isn't worth whatever it is that you're, you, know, you aspire to, then you're going to think other people feel that way too. And you're, you're going to have an adversarial. I had an adversarial mindset um, in, in, that, in that space. And again, I'm going to come back to NVC a little bit mm-hmm. and touch back on it. This is part of the reason why I like it so much. Because the whole point, you'll notice at the end there where I said, I, mm-hmm. because I was using you a lot. And I realized, nope, I can't assign emotions to you. Right and and so and I can't assign an experience to you. So it was nice to kind of clarify. And NBC is really really good about that because it's it's not about it's not about um actuallying yourself. It's going <laughs> ah right right. You know it's a little it's it's a it's an exercise that I use to kind of come back to myself and see where mm-hmm. I'm at and to check another person. So it's it's a really cool framework. Um, but it it also has to live in a human conversation. Right,
1: Right. Well, um, this is probably as good a time as any to kind of introduce a little bit more about uh, nonviolent communication, if you
2: want to talk a little bit about that. Sure, I will. But I have to go blow my nose first. <laughs> Absolutely, no worries. <laughs> so, NBC, yeah. So, like, I guess I uh, nonviolent communication means a lot to me. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned before we got started, and, and you brought this up in our kind of preamble, mm-hmm. Um that, that you went into Wikipedia and kind of did a little bit of research about um, uh, Rosenberg and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and nonviolent communication. Um, what, what, did, what did you connect with from, from that cursory glance? I just kind of want to see where...
1: Yeah, well, something that caught my attention right away was that, um, you know, he was kind of basing some of it in the work of um, other people, including Eric Frome, who's someone that I read uh, as in my late teens, probably I read um, The Sane Society and uh, what's the other one? Uh, the Anatomy of Human Destructiveness and really kind of related to those, um, you know, as, as kind of getting away from this idea that 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 people are... This is a very, this is my very, very dim recollection of this. been more than twenty years, but um, that that basically people aren't inherently evil. Uh, mm. That that that's something that I kind of refuse to believe, just flat out. Um, I'm also an atheist. I'm not a, really a person with a spiritual background, but I don't I don't think that that humans are inherently amoral. I think that this idea that um this idea of kind of social Darwinism is is pretty misguided because. It it applies an individualist framework to what is in fact uh, uh, an uh, uh, evolution, which is an idea about groups. Like like humans survived as long as we did not because we're towering, but because we learned to band together and work together really well. It's nothing to do with the strength of an individual human. It's to do with with ten humans being able to communicate with each other well enough to fell something ten times their size. Yeah. um and and so so yeah may maybe good and evil is less the way to f- uh may maybe it's more like i think that that people are inherently cooperative would be a better way to frame it
2: you know that's 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 that is i think more appropriate than good and evil um to my understanding like i'm sure. in agreement with you there um and I, actually that's that's the whole point of nonviolent communication is is to like break down the fact that we use good and evil and moralistic judgments And what's right and wrong and strategies before feelings and Mm -hmm. needs and wants. So we tip, like, you know, it's laid out in the book. And this is what I really, really like about NBC is like, look, like when you approach a problem in your life, what do you focus on first? Do you focus on this on solving it? Do you focus on the strategy before you sit back and see how you're actually feeling and check in with the people around you to see how they're feeling? Like, are you jumping to a solution in conversation even? Right. Right? Like, you know, if 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 you say something to me, and I respond to you, I am jumping to a strategy that I think would suit. Right? Like, I am doing that. That's my acknowledgement. Like, you know, when you ask a question, I am making a lot of assumptions. And they're probably right, especially since I can see your face, <laughs> you know, right? Like, that, that I'm making the right assumptions. And when you laugh at things like that, I, I assume... That I have said something a little bit, f- or like amusing to you, that you've inter- interpreted as amusing, but mm-hmm. I don't know that. I can't yeah. know that, right? The only way I can know that is to ask, or to continue talking about what I think I'm feeling, and then seeing your reaction, right? Um, and and so, it NVC is really like a process for doing that. is is a is a framework for acknowledging that you are a thinking being who can like you know can see the godhood in others. Right. Like, th- that's the other thing. Like, the thing that I connected to with, with NVC, because I'm an atheist too. And you know, the way I found God, quote unquote, is, is that every individual human being is a God of their own universe that I'm sure. communicating with. And, and that, that kind of goes into the whole, you know, humans are inherently cooperative, you know, mentality that you mentioned earlier. It's that these people can affect outcome in the world. So I should treat them as such. I would like right. to treat them as such right and my and i want to treat myself as such right like i have a lot of power more, more power than most people like the thing the thing is like i worry when people say that we're a little too individualistic because i think we can only ever be selfish it's just the radius of that selfishness that matters and how mm. we choose to express that selfishness and to enrich others lives by being selfish um, because you can only ever meet your own needs, and you can only ever see what you see, and you can only have your own frame. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't see through somebody else's eyes. You can only ask them what they see. Um, so, I think it's really important to have a set of strategies or or a, a framing and a mindset that's rooted in the idea of collaborating with people and and collaborating with yourself. Um, you know, we talked about negative self talk. Mm-hmm. We talked about these negative thoughts that pop into our heads. The, thi- the first thing that NBC teaches you to do is use it on yourself. That's the first mm-hmm. thing it does. It's like, look, if you're not, not going to talk to yourself this way, nobody's going to hear you this way. It's just not going to work. Right. Like, if, if you don't know what your own needs are, you can't ask for anything. If you can't ask for anything, then you're not speaking nonviolently because you're not being clear and people don't know what you right. want from them. So, you know, it's it's a really interesting, interesting framework.
1: Yeah, that's um it's there there's certain kind of aspects of it that I have found myself using without knowing uh, mm-hmm. uh of that framework. Um and and what you're talking about about just like, you know, um communicating for lack of a better word in a more kind of like neurodivergent way, a more kind of frank way, um something that Robbie and I have talked about before on the show is that, you know, I I have a have a tendency to assume um, to take the worst possible interpretation of an ambiguous statement, and mm. so where before someone might say something, and I I would take it one way and just kind of sit in that. Um, now, if if I if I feel that way, um, or if I've interpreted something that way, I'll just ask and say like, okay, here's what here's the statement that you made, and here's what I here's what I think that you meant, and he, like here's what sorry let let me rephrase um here's what i believe that you were trying to say and here's how i interpreted that um and and you know like often it'll be like i think that you meant to say something nice i you know there's this kind of little edge here though where if i interpreted it this way it could actually be very mean you know like were you trying to be mean or was that like a sincere thing you meant and you know um that's something certain something that's certainly easier to do with people that you're close to. But as I get older, I have less and less reservations about doing that kind of with strangers, too. Um, and, and just kind of like even if it is a quote unquote weird way of communicating um, or like an unexpected one, you know, it, 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 it takes all of that um, second guessing and, and those feelings and that hamster off the wheel. It takes him out of the equation to a, a really large degree.
2: Hmm. And there's, there's very specific ways of speaking a very specific language we can choose to use that makes that easier. Like, you know, in that situation you described, I was just kind of like thinking of specific little, you know, ways I might, i I might approach it if I was trying to be very careful about somebody else's feelings and how they interpreted me. Like, you know, instead of saying like, I think you meant this, I would probably say something like, I heard right. this Right. And because I am thinking about the times when other people have said something similar and I took it as an insult. Right. Like it, NBC is very, very clear. You are the actor, not the right. other person. Right. Like you, you are not acting for them. Right. So when, when you, when you say something to somebody or when I would say something to somebody, it's, it's important to acknowledge that the idea is coming from me. And, and rooted in my, you know, past experiences, my current feelings, my energy level, like the time and context that is me um, based on the stimulus. But it's not like they, they didn't cause any of those things. Mm-hmm. And, and removing people from the cause and acknowledging that you have the choice to feel the way you do and to respond the way you do is the core of NVC. The whole core of it is like you could, you could either choose to choose or choose to react. That's it. Right.
1: Yeah, that's, um, I have a friend who's a, who's a coach and that's, uh, I'm not sure if she's familiar with NVC, but she's talked before about this idea that like, um, no one can make you feel anything, you know, like all all that happens is, is there's events that happen and ultimately your feelings are, are unfortunately for better and worse yours alone to deal with. Yeah. And yeah. And that's, that's something that, you know, I was, I was. 37, 38, before I started kind of doing the work and, and coming around to that idea. And it's like, you know, in retrospect, very obvious. But yeah, like uh, I've spent so much of my time um, not only giving people too much of a sense of ownership over my emotions, but also, you know, it's, it's almost using, um, well, you're calling it nonviolent communication. It's using kind of those emotions and those reactions as, as a weapon of sorts to make the other
2: party yes. feel bad. Yeah, violent communication. There, there, is, there is an opposite to nonviolent right. communication. <laughs> it's violent communication. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what? I have found myself for the last couple of years, like since discovering it, well, I guess a year and a half, um, describing uh, instead of describing language people use uh, you know, with me or, or with the intent to manipulate me or with intent to hurt me or da, 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 to get me to see something, mm-hmm. whatever, like, you know, to use violent language, I've, I've been using language like it's not, like it's violent, or it's not helpful, or I really wish they'd say it another way instead of saying they're an asshole, or this was stupid. <laughs> like, I'm not even like, it's not even popping into my head anymore. Like, I'm not, I'm not just like, they're a fucking idiot. I'm like, man, I really wish I understood what they were trying to tell me. Right. Because I just missed their message in, in, in the pain that it caused or mm-hmm. that I felt, right? And and even just acknowledging that and mourning the loss of communication mm, mm. allows you to kind of, you know, come back to it and go, well, like, is there something that I want to get out of this conversation even after it's long dead and it's not, you know, like you can still live in the past a little bit to just go dig up the lessons oh, that-
1: I do constantly.
2: <laughs> yeah. But but again, like having a positive frame or a neutral frame on on those kinds of interactions is immensely helpful. And I'm not saying I'm I'm capable of doing it all the time. There are plenty of things I ruminate over, but I try to catch myself. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you you're talking a little bit about the opposite of nonviolent communication being violent communication. Um, I saw a picture of uh, of Marshall Rosenberg uh, dressed absolutely looking fly as hell in a uh, Reebok uh, color block tracksuit and a pair of uh, Nike Waffle Racers, I think. Uh, and he's got these, uh, these jackal and giraffe puppets, which, as I yep. understand, represent uh, violent, coercive communication and nonviolent communication. So can you tell yes. me a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So that's, that's another thing that I, I found really interesting. So I actually discovered nonviolent communication from a small clip where he was using puppets to describe, mm. you know, uh, how, to, how to accept gratitude. Hmm. In a nonviolent way, like how to t- how to actually compliment and receive a compliment in a nonviolent way, um, and it was only like a couple minutes long, and it was grainy as all hell because the poor man died. It, well, I mean, not poor, but unfortunately, we no longer have his help uh, right. figuring the world out since 2011. <laughs> um, so you know, this is from that era or before, uh, in terms of video, right? And um, yeah, so he was using the jackal and and the uh, the giraffe, uh, the jackal to be. Uh, violent communication and the draft to be you know sanguine, calm, relaxed, or even just direct and honest communication. Not always calm. Like you're not always gonna be calm. But being authentic to who you are is kind of the whole point. Right? Um and yeah, like it was it was really interesting seeing him kind of do it. And I, I remember thinking at the time, this is so childish. <laughs> but I didn't close the tab. Right. I watched it like maybe 10 seconds of it or 20 seconds of it and I was like, ugh. And then, but I didn't close it and I navigated it off and I'm, I'm the kind of person that has like 60 tabs open at a time. So I didn't get back to it for a while. Right. And I came back to it I'm like, why do I still have this stupid thing open? And I clicked on it and I wa- actually watched it and then I saved it. And then I was like, okay, now where do I find what this guy is talking about? This is actually like, I'm starting to connect with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I found a really crappy, terrible PDF version of the book. Um, and it was awful. <laughs> And then I bought a copy of the book because why not? A uh, physical copy. I lent that out since. And, and then I found an EPUB version that has been immensely helpful to have in my pocket. Yeah. Um, like in the book, there's a v- vocabulary for feelings. Now, when was the last, when's the last time you were feeling something really, really strongly and you sat down and just went through the list of feelings that you know of to determine whether this is like, give it its fair shot. At how you're feeling, like if you're so overwhelmed, because like, overwhelm happens, right? Sure. And so when you're getting overwhelmed, like is that the only thing you're feeling? Like you're also sometimes of feeling irritated or sad or mournful, or did, did, did. Mm-hmm. and like when was the last time you've gone through all of the possible emotions and actually gave each of them a fair shot? Uh,
1: almost that? never. Um, yeah. I I find though that like I'm generally pretty in touch with what I'm feeling. Um, but you know, there's, there's definitely times when, when, uh, I realized kind of ex post facto that there was something else at play there that I wasn't acknowledging. So, but right. yeah, no, I, I almost never actually sit down and do the laundry list of like, is this grief or is this, uh, because you know, um, that lady gave me a face in the Safeway or is this because whatever else, like,
2: <laughs> okay. Because you don't feel like you need to, or, or, or
0: well, it's
1: sorry no that's okay it's 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 i I wouldn't say it's because i don't feel like i need to honestly it's just it's old habits die hard all all of all of this kind of um getting kind of tools to understand myself and my brain this is all very very new for me like in the last Mm. uh uh, three years probably right um so so yeah so it's more just that i haven't uh i haven't developed enough of a muscle to like you know nail uh uh, the throat of first base every time so to speak
2: (laughs) no i i don't Almost never, like, and I don't think any human on the face of the planet nails, nails a home run on the first <laughs> throw in terms of in terms of their emotions. Mm-hmm. I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine recently about like finding his why, and and he described his why to me in a way that was very narrow. Like it was like it's it's discovery. And I said, well, I said that's fair. I said, but that seems like a strategy to me because like my why is to make life more wonderful for myself and others, and to leave the world a better place. That I found it like that's that's why I want to exist in this play, on this plane you know plane of existence is I want life to be as wonderful for as many people as I can, and myself included. Right, that's just, that's a why, and that includes discovering ways to make that happen. So that includes discovery. That includes well, that's, the that's, strategies.
1: It's interesting that you framed his as narrow because his seems very very broad in scope. Yours is, I think, more specific and defined.
2: Perhaps, but but the point I was trying to make mostly sure. is that is that like. It, your why doesn't always ha- – you don't always have to hit it right. Like, my describing it could be too focused, but it could be in the right direction. And right. I, think, I think people are scared to exp- – I, I remember being scared to examine exactly what I, wa- what I was feeling and to be honest with what I was feeling. Because if I didn't get it right, then, you know, like, there was only one chance to get it right. Or, like, I had to, I had to be – I had to have an immediate response that was the right answer for somebody. Like, what do you mean? You know, I had to have it all laid out at once and I had to be clear and concise. And it's not always that way. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's okay to shotgun in the direction. You know, like I'm feeling irritated, uh, frustrated, mm, not annoyed. Actually annoyed is where I'm at because they're all in the same little cluster right. sometimes, depending on how you're thinking. And it's it's okay to miss the mark. Maybe you're feeling more than one thing and you need to work through it.
0: Yeah,
1: getting away from that, that idea of perfectionism kind of in all facets of your life is, is yeah. something, again, that uh, I've really only started to kind of get away from uh, in, the, in the last few years. And, and mm. especially with creativity is, is realizing that like getting something finished and out the door is so much better than getting something quote unquote perfect, but then throwing out 90% of the shit that I do. So yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, that that or or like the exploration, like throwing out ninety percent of it, but acknowledging that there was still something valuable in the learning is fine too. Like sure. especially when I'm doing, code. Like when when I do infrastructure, my whole system right now is pulled apart because I'm fixing a whole bunch of stuff. Because I finally have money coming in, so nice job, yay! You know all these things. Um, and so I I often find that you know I'll, I'll make a configuration or I'll do something and it just isn't useful, so I'll throw it out. But the the learning what not to do is still part of the creative process. It's still part of the lateral thinking. It's still it's still building, you know, a a a base of knowledge to then be creative and artistic on top of. Um so even if you don't end up keeping your projects or you don't keep your art or you 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 do have the like I don't know, I worry because people talk a lot about perfectionism ruining uh you know, ruining their, their motivation. What people don't always talk about is that, like, the idea of being discerning could sometimes be seen as a negative. Like, people, I, I've heard people express to me, you know, that, oh, well, I didn't save this from childhood and I didn't do this and I'm not sentimental about this and I really wish I'd kept it. And and my response to them is, well, well at the time you didn't want to keep it. Maybe you kept the memory so you have enough. Right. It, mm-hmm. Right. So, so I'm wondering, like, what what holding on to the fact that you didn't hold on to something does for someone. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, it almost seems like a mourning of the memories that they could have had to show somebody of their, of their past lives, but Mm -hmm. not acknowledging that they're capable of, of reproducing that kind like any of that stuff because they made it once. Right. Maybe they're out of practice, but it's still like they, they are the human that produced it.
1: Well, and and what's so funny about that is, again, I don't, I'm not a visual arts kind of person. Um, uh, I'm not an artist or anything. And like um, what I didn't realize until embarrassingly recently that in retrospect is so obvious is that I didn't understand that painters often take a several runs at a painting. They've like, they've got an idea and they kind of like figure out the composition and, you know, maybe it takes them five or six uh, tries in, in five or six canvases to finally get this idea out and like as, as stupid as it sounds that never occurred to me I thought yeah. that like oh well you know if, if they paint something and it sucks it goes in the trash and then they try out like this new thing and so we only ever saw like the cream of the crop not yeah. realizing that sometimes people are you know over the course of five years repainting something dozens of times until it comes out right I had no idea
2: <laughs> on the same canvas sometimes
1: yeah exactly yeah
2: Layers mm-hmm. and layers of paint over the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm
1: curious. Um, uh, is there kind of um, expressions of creativity within you that you see as like a uh, uh, facets of ADHD or see ADHD
2: relating to in some way? Sure. I mean, my whole career in DevOps is mm. is totally related to ADHD and totally related to my 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 why and my skill set, which happens to be technologically based. And like right. I, so I just got a new job, and it's mm-hmm. it's with Helsom. It's a payment services company here in, in Calgary, and and they're fantastic. There's at least I I have spoken directly to at least four different coworkers that have ADHD. Mm. Uh, two of them have had deep conversations about both NVC and about my nerdy hobbies and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's quite open. It's obvious, like it's on our, their employee profiles. It's open and spoke about, spoken about. So it's it's really, really cool to work in an office like that. But um even even before that, even even in my career um, you know, as as a frontline uh technical support representative, you know, to to you know a tier three uh I guess what is it? Well it was a tier three support agent, which ended up being almost like an engineering slash coding role, like infrastructural role, just with customer facing uh, uh, aspects and then more recently, in my you know last couple of roles as a devops engineer or devops developer um i have just so I, I I guess I have to come back to hellsome um sure. i describe myself or my role because I've been asked number of times um to describe what devops is mm-hmm. because nobody knows what it is <laughs> it's not it's not a title that makes any sense oh I've heard developer before, so that must be what you are no um and I've been asked several times at work, you know, like, well, what, what, like, what is dev- DevOps anyway? And I said, well, DevOps is really an HR role with a technical backing. Mm. It's really a human resources role. It's, it's about getting everybody's tasks, everybody's work visible by the entire organization, making certain that everybody sees everybody's effort, and then building systems to support those things in a technical way. It's going, here is a computer. I want you to be able to show what you're working on to the team over there. I want them to see it, I want them to love it, I want them to know your name. And why you do it. Right. And what the metrics that you care about are in a way that they are able to connect with. Like I want everybody in the organization to be connected to the stats and to to the systems in a way that lets them feel ownership. You know, that that's done through a lot of automation and tooling. It's it's getting rid of workarounds. It's trying you know, like how much time in a typical office day is spent on like doing things that are outside the procedure because the procedure can't handle this edge case or you know working on a production line where this one piece is just slightly out of spec and it shuts down the whole production (laughs) line like devops is about whistleblowing at those moments and going wait a minute this is not sustainable we have to fix this workarounds are not cool like we need coherence and and not just coherence but like the ability for people to be comfortable and to feel right about clicking that button. Right? You want your systems to support like I was even talking the other day to a colleague saying, you know, I really want the marketing team mm-hmm. to be able to say hey, I want to spit up this like side project website to do a marketing campaign with uh, and not have to go to a development team to have that happen. Not have to come to us to have servers spun up to make it happen. Right. Not have to go through all these checks and balances and hoops. I'll be able to click a button and have a whole bunch of scripts in place that ensure that we're not getting charged too much money for it being put up, that it's safe, that it's secure, that it does what they expected it to do, all programmatically in the background, because that's what I do, and that's what other people in the organization are equipped to help with. Right? So yeah, like DevOps is very much suited to somebody who has a windy motivational style. Who can put their you know dip their fingers into multiple projects at once And and to keep checking in on things and to, you know, be called to walk around the office and check in and, you know, prioritize multiple projects at once instead of hyper-focusing on things. Um, What was that phrasing you used? A windy motivational style? Yeah. What does that mean? Okay. So, um, I think Dr. K, he's, he's does the healthy gamer, uh, Twitch streams. Um, he, he, um, I, I don't know the Indian names. For these these traditional motivational styles, that, like, forgive me for that. No worries. Uh, for I am for I am who I am and of where I am. <laughs> um, but he described three different motivational styles, um, and and I think there might be more. I'm I'm not sure. And, and a, every person that I've described this to is like, "Well, I want to find like how water fits into this." I don't know. But the ones that he described to me were fire, earth, and wind. So, fiery motivation is the tipi- typical capitalistic uh, American dream, uh, uh, middle class motivational style that we all know and love as motivation. <laughs> um, like, get it done. Doesn't matter if it sucks. You have this goal in mind. Drive to it. Get to it. You know, like, seek these things in your life. You want a white picket fence? Go get it. Right? That's fiery motivation. Like, go, right. go, go succeed at your job. Go do these this, this thing. Um, whereas stony motivation is more like, you know, who you are, you know, what kind of person you want to be in your life and you're willing to kind of just take what comes uh, and respond to the challenges that, that keep you in that space. So it's, it's, it's more about like being, uh, not calmness, but being true to yourself more stability. than stability yeah yeah it's a, although that's why it's used why they use earth as a sure. scripture for it yeah it's way about being stable and, and about being you know your human um
0: mm-hmm.
2: but in the windy motivational style is typically associated with a d h d actually it's correlated mm-hmm. quite strongly with a d h d um and it's it's all about being able to kind of like let your mo- let your motivation shift and and flit around and get caught up in things and it be being open to the fact that's going to happen to you, whether you have ADHD or not. ADHD is again correlated with it because, duh, what, what <laughs> did I just describe? Right. Um, but there are people who are mostly neurotypical or closer to neurotypical, or certainly don't have ADHD, that also exhibit this style. It's it's just a part of it, right? Sure. There's, there's other facets. Um, but being aware of the fact there are different motivational styles that when you say the word motivation. But you're not – you don't necessarily mean the westernized, single, singular type of motivation that we're used to. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of why I – I'm glad you picked up on that. I'm really glad you did. <laughs> I'm glad well, you used uh, it that way. Actually, well, you know what? Let,
1: let's double back to one more then because um, another word that you used earlier that I don't get to hear much is is sanguine. Um, <laughs> and, and so, like, I know that that's something to do with relating to blood uh, off, like, the, the – what do you call it? Etymology?
2: I believe, like, that's the word I was looking for. I I, I was just going to say, I think the, I believe the etymology of the word comes from the fact that it's, it's to be used um, to describe, like, calm or content in the face of adversity or in the face of trying circumstances. So, like, sanguinity is, is being able to, it's almost like a buoyancy or a, or a, Mm. a, you know, a state of calm. Um, Because when you're sanguine, like you are you are full of the blood lifeblood right? mm. like you have the blood in you, right like you're not yeah. drained it's not right drained. so yeah yeah but vital i guess kind of yes exactly yeah yeah, yeah. vital in the face of, of adversity and challenges right I yeah. cool
1: um so so another thing uh kind of um something that you that you t- touched on up top that i thought was really interesting um so this is a discussion that robbie and i have had on the show before and we both kind of Came down still firmly on the fence of like, we don't know how we would feel, but in terms of like, We know people that we do suspect to have ADHD uh, and we don't kind of really know how to or whether to approach it and whether that's any of our business or blah, blah, blah. So I'm kind of curious. You said that you had a close friend tell you about four years ago. And I'm just Mm -hmm. wondering, like, what was that like for you? Um, I'm sure there was a a real mix of reactions.
2: Well, as I said, I was initially very resistant to it. I was like, no, no, no. He's like, well, just go watch these videos. He's like, you know what? And, and this is this is how this is how it worked for me this is this is what connected. this is how i got connected to it is that he said you know what whether you have it or not i'd still appreciate it if you go and watch some of these mm. videos because i have it and i want you to understand me better that's a good framing yeah and i was like okay that i could do and then i'm starting to go oh i see the similarities now i get it and like being able to connect to him and then use it like instead of like comparative analysis is useful but i i i with NBC especially, I'm very careful about using comparative analysis. I don't like it because it's yeah. miserable. But when you're doing it favorably with a friend that you trust and are using it to like, you know, find things as a mirror or as like a, a foil, that's different. When you're using it as a, in a way to kind of like, oh, I should be this or I should be that or this person's way more attractive than me or whatever, <laughs> then it's then it's not good. Right. Or I'm more attracted to this other person, that's also not good. That's right them, Right. It's not it's not collaborating and connecting. Mm hmm um but yeah so i uh i I help. i found that framing very helpful where it came like i I could tell that it was something he was sharing rather than an accusation yeah and i think that's mostly where i would come uh uh, where i like to come at at this whole discussion uh about adhd um i I have had somebody who i kind of you know an acquaintance of mine who i mentioned it's actually a mutual friend of diane's Mm. um well, I'm not going to drop names. Nope. um
1: yeah, that that's as as specific as we can get.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I was sitting with her at a tea shop and talking, and and she's, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm so ADHD sometimes, and I'm like, well, I have ADHD, and like, I just want to say, like, if if you think you have it, and if you use the word, and you're concerned about it, and you described a couple of like a couple of markers for it, then. I think you should go get tested and go talk to a doctor because you're discussing all of the, like you're, you're diagnosing yourself in front of me right now. That's how this works. Like the diagnosis (laughs) for ADHD is you talk about thinking you have it. Right. And why you think you have it (laughs) and why your life sucks because of it. And that's the diagnosis. That's how it works. Like that's check. That's half of it right there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so it was, it was kind of nice to be able to have that confirmation in front of me I mean, I don't think we ever had a negative conversation about her. Right? She didn't take it in, in a negative way. It was more, it was very collaborative, and it was like, well, I mean, like you're welcome to find this out about yourself, right? Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I I think I'm pretty comfortable discussing with people. Um, I am uh, also with all those coworkers I talked about at at Helson. Um, every single one of them that told me they had ADHD afterwards. Uh, after I'd already met them or I'd, i I suspected already um because I'm quite in tune with that because that's how I treat my adhd like i just mm-hmm. I, I use mindfulness and awareness i don't have drugs I haven't had treatment I haven't had counseling specific for it ever none of those things like no professional help at all because I just found out mostly recently, and then I'd been going through financial issues for quite a while, um, and I just really never had the money to spend on you know, taking yep. care of myself and getting, counseling get and doing all that stuff. Now it's I got benefits and now I got money coming in sucks. Yeah. Yep. Um So I have all that coming in and I'm quite fortunate. So I kind of want to use it and, and to mm-hmm. explore some of these things. Um, but I'm quite glad that I was able to find all this information out. And when I think about what I learned and where I am as a human being now with the knowledge in my head um, and then looking at people that I see struggling without the diagnosis it's not about being right or about having something to like you know to to diagnose them with so that they'll go and take this treatment the specific treatment that i have defined right. it's i would like to be able to share with them my perspective on on something they could look into right because i've seen uh, my awareness and my knowledge um of of adhd and, and my knowledge of what it means and how it works and how my life works, you know, in this framework, mm-hmm. um, just having that knowledge and having understanding of it is been, has been very helpful in, in you know, reducing those, those outbursts that we described, those, those spaz mm-hmm. moments. <laughs> like another mutual friend um, of, of mine and uh, Diane's, you know, like we, we had a bit of a falling out mm-hmm. um, and, and it was due to miscommunication. You know, like I didn't know they didn't have data on their phone, so they couldn't message me, and mm-hmm. like they thought I was being an asshole because I didn't show up on time, and they blocked it on Facebook. And and just like kaboom, like you're an awful person because you don't respect my time. Bam. Right. But no like and and because when you know, because rejection sensitivity is such a huge thing. And and that was rejection sensitivity based on, you know, like all these other little these little um cues that this person had, had given me like the fact that they had, you know, gotten uh, their booster shot right before we were supposed to go rock climbing the next day and didn't think about it. And just all uh. these little <laughs> organizational like snafus, right? Like, Oh, well actually this time, actually this time, which I'm totally fine with. But in retrospect, if they didn't know about these things, then it's, it's kind of sad right? they don't know why they're doing these things mm. and they're internalizing all these behaviors and then projecting.
1: Right. So, so let's, um, I'm curious then, um, you know, you, you talked earlier about a situation where you did, uh, talk to your friend, uh, uh, about your suspicions, but after they had kind of brought it up, um, if, 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 if you and I are like friends and that, that subject has never come up, let's say that I have never even heard the phrase ADHD, um, I'm curious, is that, is that something then that you would try and like, hey, I recognize this in you? And if so, I'm very curious kind of, uh, if you can sort of illustrate for me and the listeners what approaching that conversation with uh, nonviolent communication oh. techniques might look like.
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, okay. So, first of all, first of all, nonviolent communication is 100% about time and context mm. um, and about the human being you're, you're speaking to. So, generalities are dangerous. Sure. Right? Um, because then you're just going to blurt out a performed line that is not alive and not your current state and not their current state. So that's number one, is like being able to be flexible is the heart of NBC and being able to reformulate the ask based on what you see the other person presenting like, mm. uh, you know, is, is a huge deal. Um, so, oh man. If that's, if that's too much. No, uh, no, no. It's, it's a really good question. I like it. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad you asked. I'm just trying to put it together. Yeah, and, no, and, take and, your time. And, uh, Especially since I don't really have like a, a person in mind that I'm speaking to, which is part of the problem. Um, I suppose I I might approach somebody like, for instance, at work. Um, if somebody's struggling to meet deadlines and having trouble with stuff, I might just sit down with them and say, "Hey, listen, um, you know, I I'm when I see you struggle to keep you know track of time and track of tasks." that you're working on and, and being unable to hold your attention where you'd like it to. um, I'm feeling really like really concerned because I remember when I felt that way and I felt really, really terrible about it. And, and I know that I have ADHD and, and knowing something about that and being able to action that and, and, you know, explore it was really helpful to me, you know, to prevent this kind of thing from happening. Like, would it help you to talk about what these things might mean for you? Um, and are you interested in discussing, you know, like what ADHD m- means for me and like why, why I think it might help you, you know, like, so again, connect it back to myself. it would be like, I'm concerned. I'm worried. You know, when I see you struggling, I don't want that for you. Yeah. How can I help? Can I help by telling you what I'm seeing? Are you willing to hear it? Are you ready to, can we talk about it another time if you don't want to now? Right.
1: That's really cool. Um, so there was something else that I wanted. Oh, yeah. So so kind of going back to, um, uh, to to DevOps and stuff, something you mentioned up top was that, um, you know, you, the organizational problems haven't really been an issue for you. And I'm kind of curious if there's, like, elements of, you know, what you would kind of use to organize in, like, a tech career, uh, you know, uh, Kanban or JIRA boards and that sort of thing, and, and whether you apply those kinds of techniques to, like, just organizing your life in general.
2: Oh, what is the word? Uh, What is the, it's the note-taking format where everything is connected as a series of notes um, where you like link between, it's an Is this this Memex? No, no, it starts with a K. Okay. Um, Yeah, no worries. Uh, uh, A knowledge graph? No, no, it's a note-taking system oh right right yes you said yeah that. um i think onyx the the note-taking platform or obsidian i think it's actually obsidian obsidian let me see mm. anyway i i can look it up later I'm, we're here we, we
1: we can all we can also edit this that's uh that's no big deal if you want to take a second look at sure
2: but the flow of conversation is important
1: <laughs> uh, and yeah. not
2: losing memory of what it is is mm-hmm. also important to me and i know myself right. that's part of the organization right it's like knowing sure. when to like throw away the the the, the rabbit hole like now mm-hmm. the rabbit hole is not important let's go back um Anyway, so I I have often described my thought process as a series of nodes in my head Mm -hmm. where, like, all – there's a bunch of connections um, to other things. And that's, that's like, when people say, oh, it sounds like you – like, it almost seems like you have a photographic memory. It's like, no, I have a relational memory.
0: Mm -hmm. And I I
2: put a lot of effort into making those relations happen so I can hold track of things. Um, So, like, you know – I, I might be struggling to remember something that somebody said until I, like until I connect to a smell that I smelled there and then I could put myself in there in that moment and have that conversation mm-hmm. with them over in my head um, or, or even just a sound or so there's all these different connections and sometimes they're abstract. Sometimes they're physical. Like I just described, sometimes it's food, but I don't have to eat the food. I just have to remember eating the food and go, right. Oh, right. And there I am. Um, sometimes there's an emotional connection, but being aware that can it just just holding um all these nodes of information all these all these ideas um in my head in my organizational structure and then knowing that there is going and trusting that there is going to be a way for me to get from where I am right now to where that place is should I decide to put effort into it allows me to relax about the organizational thing and not and not be so caught up in, in worrying about whether I'm going to be able to remember something. Like, deadlines are still a problem, um, but I find like, you know, my place is a bit of a mess, but like, all of the papers that need to be resolved are out and on top of things. Nice. Like, if anything is urgent, it's out. Like, I don't put things away until they're done with. And yeah, that sometimes means that my place is cluttered, but it also means it gets done. Um, like, my dishes, I deliberately do not put them in the sink. If I put them in the sink, they're hidden. They're away. Mm-hmm. Like stacking them. Like my mom will come over. Like my mom or dad would come over when you know we were doing Christmas or something, and they would they would clean up. They would help me clean up the place <laughs> by stacking and putting everything in a neat little tiny pile and making everything go out of my way. And I'm like, no. Number one, I don't know where anything is now. Number two, now I'm not even thinking of it as a problem. It's fine. Everything's tidy. It's not. I still have work to do. Right. But I don't see it because it's hidden. <laughs> it's not bothering me, right? So, again, DevOps principles get applied to all of these projects. It's make it visible. Make the problem <laughs> visible. Make it obvious and easy and, and know how to ask people to collaborate with you. If I have a friend over and I've hosted them and I've given them some tea and some food and stuff, I'm like, hey, would you mind help me wash a couple of dishes and put them away? So mm-hmm. Most friends would be super happy to do that. Sure. Right? Like, and it's not – not, if they say no, it's like, cool, then just please talk to me while I do it. I appreciate yeah. your company. <laughs> right? And that's <laughs> nice. all it needs. You don't need to get mm-hmm. mad about it. But the, the point I'm making is that, like, organization comes with – for me, comes with trusting myself. Like, letting go of the idea or letting go of the manifestation that I'm a poor organizer yeah. and and not manifesting that idea, not, not allowing that to define me, and and then choosing to believe instead that even if I forget something, I will get to it has been very powerful.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because that that's sort of like what looks to other people like a very kind of cluttered, shitty pile system is like, you know – my uh, my office was often like just an absolute complete disaster, like papers everywhere, stuff all over the floor, blah blah blah. But if I needed something, I knew exactly where it was. Like it it was a totally incoherent jumble to anyone, but because it was my jumble, uh, I I knew it inside out, right? Yeah. Um, and and it's just really funny those kinds of um. It, it's, it's not that it's not an organizational system, it's just not a very pretty one. Uh, and, and so, you know, the the, the, the neurotypical urge to um, help us out, quote unquote, uh, can, can, be, can be pretty destructive sometimes.
2: <laughs> yeah. I remember, I distinctly remember last summer one time, <clears throat> my parents came over to help me organize my place up a little bit and fix it up and move things mm-hmm. around and install a desk and get some shelving put up and move a shelf over here, and drill some holes in it to mount server hardware in a, in a, in a, you know, one bedroom condo. Like I'm running <laughs> some serious shit right here. Like nice. there are, there are a lot of blinky blinky lights. There's 50 terabytes of storage over Jesus. here. Yeah. it's it redundant and all this craziness. I'm rebuilding my array right now. Cause I got a paycheck so I can afford that. Anyways, nice. lots of stuff going on. Um, but we were built this stuff and like we were, we had been going, going, going for like eight days straight, getting this place all cleaned up, getting all these errands done. And I remember distinctly taking my dad by the shoulders gently and just saying, hey, dad, I just want you to know that I'm very, very thankful for all the work we've got done, but I need a break. I, I don't want you to touch anything in here. Um I have one thing showing up. I just want you to take the boxes and open them to make sure nothing's damaged and put everything away. Do not assemble them. Do not put them up. <laughs> Do not mess with anything. Just put them away. We'll get to them tomorrow. And then I went, you understand? He said, yes. I'm like, okay, good. I went to my mom and I said the same damn thing. And then I went and had a conversation with my dad. And I said, do you remember what I said? And I did it. I made sure three times for both of them. <laughs> I came home and I, I also said, I distinctly remember saying, don't move a single thing in this house. Please. <laughs> Nothing. I don't care if there's dirty laundry. I don't care. Just don't move anything. If you need to get out of here because it's too cluttered, please just leave and go have fun. Go like right. go have lunch somewhere. I, I need a break from this. I'm going to have fun with friends. I want to come back to this exact same state, please. <laughs> right? I, I said that. And I made sure to say it mm-hmm. three times to each of them. I left the house for a couple, like maybe four hours. I came back. Everything was changed. They had moved everything. They assembled all the things. Like, oh, we were doing you a favor. I'm like, <laughs> no. And that was the problem. It wasn't favor. It was my asking and not being understood, mm. right? And that was where I was so frustrated. And I like I we had a whole falling out. Like I like I told them I couldn't even trust them anymore. Like I just I exploded. This was before NBC. Actually, this was two years ago. Then mm. this was this was twenty twenty. Um, yeah, because my parents also split up since then. So mm. there's obviously lots going on. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really traumatizing experience because like they were trying to help, and and were very hurt by my outburst. Yep. And I was like, well, I told, this is my space and you didn't listen. You know what I mean? Like, it's like coming into somebody's mind and going, Brr, try, try figure things mm-hmm.
1: out. You know? <laughs> well, and you know, I've had it before too, where same thing, my, my, my folks very well meaning they would like throw out stuff of mine that like, clearly this is like, you know, you you, you should replace whatever this thing is. It's too worn or whatever, but like, Man, that's my shit. Like, let, let 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 me determine when or if it needs to be replaced and 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 replace it.
2: Like, and if you're truly concerned, sit down and say, "Hey, there's this thing." Yes. "It looks awful. How about a new one?"
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just 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 talking about this stuff. Um, for sure. So, something else I'm kind of curious about. You mentioned that you grew up in the Northwest Territories. Um, yes. There's a lot of people with ADHD have talked about um, kind of uh, uh, finding, finding a, uh, being able to find a more kind of meditative and centered state kind of in nature. And I'm kind of curious what your experiences are growing up with, I assume, a fair bit of, of, of wildlife and, and, and natural landscape around you.
2: I would hop on a dirt bike or a quad or a snow machine and go into the bush. Nice. Um, I, I remember you know, there was a day where I just, I I was, I was riding my dirt bike in the ditch. Uh, and like, I was seriously riding it, like, like jumping things. (laughs) uh, Um, how do I put this? Not never, never jumping an intersection where cars were meant to be, but jumping anything that was like you know, in, on farm roads where they have like a little, like the start of a, a road. Oh yeah, no, like
1: I've, I've definitely done exactly what you're talking about in like Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> right. Yeah, but
2: in real life. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And, and, and I was going pretty hard. Um, but I remember, I remember just like muttering to myself all these like swears and all these hateful things, like just like fuck this, fuck that, and just like letting <laughs> it out. Yeah. Um, and and just like yeah, meditative, like just like. Burning of a candle in my mind as I was driving, and not even, I'm barely even paying attention to what I was doing. But like, I remember driving home and parking the vehicle, and somebody pulling up in my driveway and be like, "Wow, I was really impressed with how careful you were being out there." I'm like, what? I didn't even <laughs> think about it. But yeah, it was it was so it was kind of meditative. Um, and nice. it was obviously something that I had done so well, or like had integrated so so much into my being that I could do it kind of passively or as a secondary task. Um, and and just. Like racing or driving a car in general is, is kind of like that for me. Like, you know, operating yeah. machinery could kind of be meditative. Um, I, I never really, uh, I mean, meditation never made sense to me when I was a kid. Mm. Because meditation was described as not thinking anything. I have ADHD. <laughs> that can't be done.
1: <laughs> it's difficult, that's for yeah. sure.
2: <laughs> well, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not not thinking about things. Yeah. It's about not reacting or responding to those things. This is a very different framing, right. a very different ask. It's oh, just calmly accepting. Right. Oh, that I could do.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely something that's come up on the show. Is is I had the same understanding or misunderstanding, I, I guess I should say, of meditation. Uh, but that's you know, excuse me. Um, Robbie's a Buddhist, and she's definitely talked a lot before on the show about um, you know, that that that, that meditation isn't necessarily something that you ever quote unquote get good at like it's still you're you're every time you sit back down you're you're the student sitting down for the first time but um yeah, I guess um, there was only kind of one more thing that I wanted to ask you about a little bit, which was, um, you, you mentioned before that you had some nerdy hobbies. I'm seeing some art behind you on the wall. It looks like, uh, <laughs> like mechas or, or like kind of exosuits of some kind. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on there?
2: The one right above me here?
1: Yeah, what's that one?
2: Well, I mean, it's a set of characters that have very distinct silhouettes. Can, can you make it up much?
1: No, I, I, will I, my, my level of familiarity with like what I assume is video game stuff is really low. No,
2: this is the Avengers.
1: Just that's styl- the Avengers. Just
2: stylized as like biotical style or like kind of yeah. It looks. Bioman- I was thinking
1: like, uh, like, like the at the very start of Final Fantasy three, those guys in the suits. That fella on the right there kind of looks like, uh, like that. This, the silhouette. Yeah. That's the Hulk. <laughs> that's uh, the Hulk. Yeah. The big green one is the Hulk. Wow. Hawkeye, Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man
2: just huh. kind of like with with kind of an interesting different alternate art style. Um, yeah. Up here is Gundam. Um this is okay. a, this, this is Gundam Exia, I think. Um or maybe it's yeah, I think it's Gundam Exia from Gundam uh, 00. Um and then, uh, yeah, I've got a uh, Mega Man poster way up there, the one that's actually oh, the oil print. Oh, I see that's Mega Man now, yeah. yeah, okay. And then this one, the light is kind of hard to see, but it's, it's uh, Cortana in the top with Master Chief on the bottom. Okay, yeah. From Halo.
1: Yeah. And uh, then th- this, this guy here between those two, that's Master Chief again?
2: No, right here, that's Gypsy Danger from uh, Pacific Rim.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I have seen that movie. That movie actually, that kicked ass. I love that.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. The original yeah. one, certainly. Yeah, the second one. Uh, I didn't see the sequel, no. Yeah, well, I wonder why. Um, <laughs> I've also got some art that you can't see that's in the corners here. It's, it's finger-painted art from... Mm. Uh, I went to China as, as a kid in high school. Oh, wow. And went through a market, and there was a guy making art with his fingers and in ink. And so I got a couple pieces of his, and they're framed. And,
1: oh, that's and awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, um, unless, uh, if there's anything else you wanted to discuss, I've still got a all the time in the world, but otherwise, um, yeah, this has been a really, really interesting and uh, and fun conversation. So thank you so much for
2: joining me. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm so glad mm-hmm. you, you know, saw fit to invite me onto this podcast with you. And I'm so glad that Diane put us in touch.
1: Yeah, I owe her a thank you for introducing us. If you enjoyed Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, Subscribing to and reviewing it on your podcast platform of choice helps more neurodivergent folks find us, as does following and promoting the show on social media.
0: A full list of platforms is on our Anchor page at anchor.fm forward slash holy shit I have ADHD. While you're there, why not leave us a voicemail? You can also share your thoughts on this episode or your own ADHD experiences with us at, you guessed it, holy shit I have ADHD at gmail.com or via our social media pages in the episode notes. Bye for now, and hyper-focus on the positive.